0: Howdy, citizens and liberty! Welcome to Electric Liberty Land, episode number one hundred and fifty-nine pre-roll. And you know, I think today I'm going to share with you guys a little secret, a little, little kiss and tell. We don't like to share widely, but since you've taken the time to listen to this pre-roll, I will tell you the best bucks for your value that you could possibly get with our podcast is by going in and becoming a $100 a month supporter. If you are a business owner, if you're somebody in sales, if you're somebody working with a product or a service, and you want to get the word out to all of our listeners in the most cost-effective manner, you can actually support the show for $100 a month while getting an advertisement on one of our shows every week for that $100. And that's on top of all the other goodies that we'll send you. So make sure to check that out patreon.com forward slash lions of liberty and uh if you want some more information on our advertising go to lionsofliberty.com forward slash advertise welcome to electric liberty land here on the lions of liberty podcast your weekly shot of culture comedy and liberty with your host, Brian McWilliams. What up out there in Libertyville, everybody? Welcome. This is Brian McWilliams, the voice of liberty, the hilarity, the frivolity, the raging tempest that comes to your ears every Wednesday here with the Lions of Liberty podcast. How's it going out there, everybody? This is episode number 159, meaning you can go and find all the show notes at of lionsofliberty.com forward slash ELL159. Oh, man, I got to tell you guys, I am uh, I am not in the best of moods. I was flying high earlier in the day after getting a little bit of a, you know, last week, got a little bit of bad news. Not Nothing to having to do with my forthcoming child, thank God. Nothing to do with my health or my wife's health. That's all good. But I will tell you that, you know, we've been doing necessary renovations on the house. Had to do these things, right? So we're laying out money, laying out money for the kid coming, laying out money for this and that and the other. And just work-wise, got kind of like a little little this slap in the dick. And then today, right at the end of the day, it just got hit with a brand new... Uh, you know, the first one was a little slap in there. This one was just a full-fledged punch right in the genitalia, and I am still feeling it, and it has taken the wind out of my sails a little bit, I'm sure as we go along, I will get a little bit more pepped up, you know how I do, but god damn it, just, you know, it's, mm, it always seems to happen this way, right, my friend's it's like the, it, there's never a time when it's like, and I know there's never a good time for bad news to happen, you know, and money's money's money. You know, I hope to someday with your support and your help as listeners of this podcast, I hope someday that Mark and Odie and I, for all the uh, the time and effort we put in, that we are able to uh, to live and thrive and not have to worry too much and, and do this podcast, the thing that we love and make the money off of it, that'll keep us just Throwing dollar bills at hobos and buying champagne and all those good things. Or maybe throwing champagne at hobos and buying dollar bills. Maybe getting some Sacagaweas. Whatever floats our boat. But man, it's just, it always seems in life that, you know, it's like that old phrase, it rains, it pours. And God damn, if it doesn't always seem to happen that way. Where right as you're laying out money, unforeseen, you know, it's just the stress levels are at its highest. And then of course you get dealt this hand and you just go mother. <clears throat> so anyway, that's where I'm at. And I will say my personal f- uh, philosophy, not to, I don't want to start the show in too much of a down note, but I will say this, my dad said this uh, and it really stuck with me. And uh, maybe he's listening to the show. He listens now and then and has supported us in the past. Of course I, my father, a, uh, a former, First he was Democrat, then he was Republican, and then he became a Ron Paul supporter. Uh, I'm very proud of that conversion. So he shared with me this point of view, which I agree with, and it's that everything is cyclical in life, and it does seem to trend that way. And you know, whether that whether that's something that draws from, you know, the I hate to quote that you know, that idiotic book, The Secret, but whether that's something from your own mentality and the way you look at the world and the way you operate within it. You know, when things are going well, they tend to continue to go well. And when things are going badly, they tend to continue to go badly. And sometimes it seems like there's nothing you can do to pull yourself out of that. It's just going to happen. You got to get through it. You got to keep just pushing that boulder up the hill and eventually you're going to get to the top. So that's where I'm looking at it. You know, I'm looking, I used to, I used to have a blog, you know, one point a few years ago, I was dealing with some pretty good depression. And, you know, I was on meds and all that other stuff. I'm sure a lot of you out there, a lot of you liver libertarians, I'm sure, are out there on meds. It's before I discovered the drug of stand-up comedy to keep me to keep me even. You know, uh, but, you know, I was taking some meds and I was just really just down, man. Just down and down and down in the dumps. You know, nothing was going well. And I had this blog called, uh, When You're at the Bottom, Looking Up, Everything is Bright. And I think that's a good way to look at it. You know, things can only get better. At times. And uh, so that's, that's where we begin this show. Things can only get better. And I feel that as a nation, as a a country, especially coming out of this military strike in Iranian Gerald, we said, we looked at everything that was happening. We said, Oh my God, we're going to get drawn into this world war. We're going to, you know, Iran's going to retaliate. God knows what they're going to do. Who knows how Trump's going to respond? Who knows? Maybe these hawks are finally going to get their war with Iran. Mike Pompeo, as I said, you know, this Greek god who yells down, screw Iran all the time from uh, from Olympus there, um, establishment Mount Olympus. Would they finally get their wish? Would we finally get into the war that all of these people have been craving for years? And shockingly, things seem to have calmed down. Now, I did say in my last episode that I didn't make a lot of sense to see a big response from Iran. Uh, they just... Nothing would make sense for them to go in a full bore into war with the United States. Militaristically doesn't make sense. Economically doesn't make sense. They're already crippled with sanctions. So you'd think that going to a full scale war, knowing that they've got some allies in the region, but also enemies that are allied with the United States, be it by economic ties or uh, because you're Israel and you get all of your weapons and uh, half your military budget from us, and you also happen to have uh, nuclear weapons. Regardless, it wouldn't make a lot of sense for Iran to get fully involved. Unfortunately, Trump has seen fit not to escalate the situation further. Now that doesn't excuse what was an absolute atrocious abuse of power uh, and completely unfounded. At last episode, we were talking about Mike Pompeo providing no evidence that there was any sort of eminent threat to embassies. Trump, led, last I heard, he was saying that there was an eminent threat to four different embassies and they were going to attack Americans. Now, No, that was all total bullshit. And we've seen it come out now. You know, Esper said that there was absolutely no evidence they could find of uh, of any military threat coming in. You know, that Soleimani, there was no evidence. There was no chatter. There was absolutely nothing that said that they were going to be attacking embassies. And in fact, Donald Trump had authorized this attack on the general up to seven months ago, which is what I had theorized earlier as well that this was, in fact, something that was going to come about. And they simply said, well, our chipmunks popped his head out of the tree. Let's lop that head off. Chip, 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 and tails. Death Squad Rangers. So they chopped his head off. He popped his head up. They figured, well, we're not going to get a better chance to kill this guy. He's in a country which we are occupying, which we have the military might in. And we know that this country which we're occupying has no recourse should we decide to do this thing other than to theoretically, mind you, kick our troops out of their country. Since we did give them, we were so kind as to deign to give the Iraqi people back their country and allow them to have a government. Oh, who doesn't love America, right? Winning the hearts and minds. So we deign deign to be so kind as to give them back this government. And we say, well, what are they going to do? What are they going to, they're going to kick us out? They know their military's shit. They know we, you know, we've been we've been training them. We know their shit. They know their shit. We all know their shit. <laughs> so, much to the surprise of the United States, the Iraqi parliament decides, yeah, we're done with you. We don't want you here anymore. Get your crap and get the hell out. Kind of like that Beyonce song. To the left, to the left. Move all your crap out, chuck it to the left of our border, get lost. And what was America's reaction to that? Well, it was twofold, my friends. The first is one of the funniest things I've ever heard in my entire life and stems from this idiotic naval... I think it was the Navy or maybe it was the Army. Remember those commercials that they'd roll out? America, a global force for good. Which, of course to any American that respects borders, that respects individual rights, that respects the autonomy of other countries and frankly doesn't want Americans traipsing about the world getting into wars and causing blowback in other countries, which we have absolutely no reason to be into and can only incur wrath that would come back to haunt American citizens and also troops that didn't sign up to go and go over to, to the middle of Africa for no reason, to go over and just be stationed in the Middle East for no reason. A global force for good indicates that we are, in fact, the world's police, that we view ourselves as such. And you know what? Nobody likes cops, especially when those cops continuously are disenfranchising people from their homes, are bombing and murdering innocent civilians as casualties of a war on terror that is a blank check for any sort of action the United States government would undertake. And mind you, these people that were going over that were policing they no longer have any rights either. They don't have any rights in their own country because America goes over and decides that we can kill people in these other countries. They don't try the people in those other countries because once you are in uh, a enemy combatant in the war on terror, well, we don't even have to give you a trial. You don't even have to be accused of anything. You get put on a terror watch list. You get put on a terror drone kill list as Obama was very, very fond of. We remember his kill list. And and, and don't forget it wasn't only foreign citizens. It was also American citizens. And were Al-Awaki, I'm messing that name up. But his son, was that his, no, it's his son. He was an American citizen. He was a boy, I think, age 16. He was killed, as was the daughter. Both killed, both Americans. And... Did they get their day in court? Did they get to face their accuser? Well, the only way they got to face their accuser was if they happened to look up at the exact moment the bomb that that drone dropped on them exploded right in their faces. So nice job, cops. It's like we view ourselves, and of course, when I say we, I don't mean a libertarian we, I mean the establishment we, but the establishment we and the hardriners and the the left that pretends to be anti-war but really just goes along with all the wars, View ourselves as these cops that go police the world, that we're out there looking for bad guys, right? We're a global force for good. But really, what we are is the cops that come into your yard, that shoot your fucking dog in the head, and then decide, ah, we got the wrong house. I mean, is there any greater example of that than Afghanistan right now? We have shot all of those people's dogs and then found out, whoops, we got the wrong house. In fact, the house that we should have been going into is the one that we're friends with down the block. The one that we have house parties with that involve putting our hands on glowing orbs with Saudi princes. That's the house we should have been kicking the door in. But no, (laughs) let's make sure that we stay over in this other house for 20 some years continuously have U.S. troops die, continue to murder people in that city or in that uh, country that are innocent, continue to drop bombs on weddings and on hospitals, and continue to encourage people to join up with the most absolute, uh, violent, uh, revenge-prone, and, and for good reason, The factions that are out there in Afghanistan that have a sole mission, and that is to destroy America, because we have destroyed everything that they own. Okay, anyway, sorry, I'm getting off on tangents, guys. Like I said, uh, get my mind, get my mind focused. So after the Iraq parliament said that we and the people back us in this, we want you out of our country, the United States embassy issued a statement, and this is what it was, under the U.S. continued partnership with Iraq. And, and Ron Paul wrote a, a, a byline for antiwar.com. I'm going to quote from it in a minute because he also talks about this statement. And this is what it says. The U.S. continued partnership with Iraq. America is a force for good in the Middle East. Our military presence in Iraq is to continue the fight against ISIS. And as the secretary has said, we are committed to protecting Americans, Iraqis, and our coalition partners. That was for uh, well five days ago as of the time. So they issue this statement. In the meanwhile, everything the United States has done in the past couple of weeks has basically brought far more danger Two Americans in the region, be you military or be you civilian contractors or be you the mercenaries that we like to bring in when we're pretending to draw the troops out, if you're an Iraqi, do you feel more safe that we killed a general across the border? Do you feel more safe that they're dropping bombs knowing how many innocents that we accidentally kill in other countries when we're targeting these terrorists? Do you feel more safe? Do you feel more protected by the Americans? Or do you feel that, you know, considering the state of affairs, probably... Iraq and Iran would just get along just fine. If America pulled out and just said, hey, Iran, we're watching you. Don't go over there. Don't don't go messing with Iraq for now. You know, we'll come over. We'll we'll come back. Just leave it be. I'm sure Iran would be like, yeah, it's fine. (laughs) And like I said last episode, too, the Iraqi people may be more than willing to embrace a different regime, may be more than willing to welcome in uh, more of an Iranian style of leadership after being under the boot of American oppression for the past 20 years in their own country. And the coalition partners, I, I again, do they feel more safe? I, I highly doubt it. Hard to tell just between an Aussie, an Englishman, an American, and a Canadian, or even a Frenchie, when they're all running out there, anybody that doesn't look Middle Eastern, I'm going to guess they're probably not going to really squint too hard to see if there's a maple leaf on that guy's helmet, or if it's a French flag, or if it's whatever the, you know, whatever Australia puts on there is, I don't know, a koala bear with a knife, whatever it might be. I doubt that they're going to really top and, and check. It's going to be more uh, shoot first. Check patches later. So that's what so I, Rand Paul made or no, I'm sorry, Ron Paul made note of this. He wrote a, uh, an entire article, as I said, for antiwar.com and just laying out exactly what I'm talking about here. You know, that's a, and he says this, I'll, I'll quote this phrase. Cause it really, he sums it up nicely. You know, the Iraqi leadership recognized the deceptions that were laid out. I'm paraphrasing here. The same lies that were used to push the U S into attacking their country in 2003 it comes to some as no surprise that the Iraqi government met last week and voted that all foreign military personnel should leave Iraqi soil. And, of course, this is in the famous, uh, you know, mechanism for troop withdrawal. And then here's the quote. Then a funny thing happened. I, should, I tried to draw around, Paul? <laughs> then a funny thing happened <laughs> when, the, when the Iraq prime minister attempted to communicate to the U.S. government the will of the Iraqi people through their democratically elected officials. On Thursday, Iraq Prime Minister Mahdi phoned Pompeo to urgently request that Washington to enact a U.S. troop withdrawal mechanism in Iraq. American troops are in Iraq by invitation of the Iraqi government. The Iraqi government had just voted to revoke that. And then, of course, they issue, the statement saying, well, thanks, but no thanks. It's kind of, I guess, I guess the United States, is the United States playing by vampire rules? You know, is is it literally, it's like when a vampire comes to your house I mean, granted, we don't wait to be invited in, but it's kind of like this. Okay, well, I guess we invited the vampire in and the Iraqis invited our vampire United States military in. And now we get to just sit there and continuously suck the blood of their country forever. And tough nuggets, you invited me in, brother. I would have sat outside. We would have been floating. We would have been fanging at the windows like Corey Haim or Corey Feldman in Lost Boys. Sorry, now we're inside your house. Stock up on garlic. So that was one response, right? Is to tell them, hey, go kick rocks. We're not going to leave. We're, we're a force for good in the region. And being that we consider ourselves a force for good, that gives us free reign to stay in your country, to endanger your people, and to assassinate your closest neighbor's military leadership when they are, as per reports, in the country to, uh, to try to attempt some peace talks. So that was the first thing. The second thing that happened was that the United States threatens to block Iraq from a bank account that was created if they expel the troops. So Iraq would lose access to its oil revenues because if the United States doesn't have troops in the country, they will not allow them to access a special uh, bank account that was created for the oil ministry to handle international oil sales at the Federal Reserve in New York. So that's a substantial amount of Iraq's government uh, revenue. And should they freeze that account like they did back in 2015, it could cause a massive panic in Iraq. It could stop the flow of uh, governmental funds in there. It could shut down the government. It could shut down all sorts of the services. I mean, I don't, I'm not sure exactly how Iraq's infrastructure is laid out, but I'm guessing it's probably similar to a lot of places in the region where the government controls a lot of the water, a lot of the infrastructure, a lot of the shipping. So Literally, the country could shut down, go into a panic because 70% of their revenue has been cut off by virtue of this bank account that was created under U.S. governance after we took the country over and which we now literally, not only do we have military control of them, but we also have financial control of their country. Can you believe the vice grip we have on these people? And yet we're supposed to believe that when we leave, if we leave, they're going to look upon this and say, "Thank God, thanks for rescuing us from Saddam Hussein guys. Thanks for putting in a corrupt government that shockingly stood up the United States, but a corrupt government that we've been that we've been protesting, that we've been marching against, that's been shooting us. You know, Saddam Hussein, I don't know how many people he decided to shoot in the streets, but I mean, I think it's over four hundred fifty that the current Iraq government has shot during these protests. There are people are gonna look and say, hey, thanks a lot, America. You, you know, you really are a, a force for good. Thanks for making sure that there's all sorts of poison pills if we try to get rid of your military. Thank God for thank God for you to take advantage of our uh, our oil reserves. Thank God for putting our bank accounts under your watchful guise so that any time we misstep, you can cut off our country and cause absolute anarchy in the streets, starve our children, and cut off our access to all sorts of services. Just I mean, I, I it's it's unbelievable to me that anybody that doesn't have their heads so far up the establishment's ass or so far buried in the sands of unrelenting, you know, go-go Power Ranger bullshit that we hear every day spewing out of the corporate media and spewing out of our politicians about how, United States, how the United States is still this shining city on a hill instead of the absolute bully, the mafia of the world. I mean, I don't, I don't see how people can't see this and not understand it, not wake up. And you know, it is something where you see the progression of things that that are rolling out. You see how the way the media portrays it, the way politicians portray it. Like Sean Hannity, fucking Sean Hannity, man. You know, Sean Hannity, he's been good. I'm not a big Hannity fan. I know Rico watches his show. I think mostly because he likes the breaking news sound. (laughs) That's about it. But I'm not saying Rico agrees with Sean Hannity, by the way, but I know he does watch it. But, you know, Hannity was good about the Russian collusion stuff. But God damn, man. Now he's just he's just towing the line for the Hawks. He's saying after the Iranians' missiles shot back, by the way, they the Iranians didn't attack us out of nowhere, right? So the, the Iranians shot missiles back at us after we murder Suleimani. We murdered one of their highest ranking military officials. The guy, by the way, who'd been heading up the fight against ISIS, because Iran doesn't want ISIS to succeed either. They're a little too crazy even for Iran and the the Ayatollah over there to tolerate. So this goes to fight against ISIS, who again, we're a force for good in the region, combating ISIS, yet we take out one of the guys combating ISIS with us. Great idea. Just great idea. But Hannity goes, there's a massive price to pay after they hit, after they shot missiles at our bases, after they shot at our bases, by the way, and gave us a little heads up, didn't kill anybody, intentionally made this, basically all it was was a show. It was Kabuki theater. It was to say, look, we have to do something. We we can't lose face here. We have to attack. You just murdered a goddamn general on Iraqi soil. We have to do something. So they did... Basically, the bare minimum that they had to do to save face. And yet, assholes like Sean Hannity are saying the full force of the US military has to go in and strike Iran. For what? What do we gain from that? We gain thousands of troops to strike because Iran has a much stronger military than Iraq had. Iraq basically had no air force whatsoever. So that was why that war was over in three seconds. Iran has it. They have a military infrastructure. They've got weapons. They've got missiles. They've got fighters. They do have a military. Will it stand up to America's military? No. But then again, America's military is also splintered across the entire globe. We're already drawn thin, as Trump likes to remind everybody, which is why he put through the biggest military budget in history. And by the way, congratulations, everybody, on the on the deficit hitting one trillion dollars in 2019 so we've got this military that's spread thin, but yet it demands more money because, God, you can't spread it. You know, we can have it spread thin, but you need to put another layer of peanut butter on that, right? Get that good establishment military sandwich nice and tasty for everybody. But let's say we go in there, we're still going to lose thousands of troops. We're talking about a full-scale war, not... A skirmish, not uh not beating up on Saddam Hussein's army, where half of them literally just surrendered on day two. Literally, oh, you know, what did we lose? 80 people in that, that quote unquote war? This is gonna be a war war. And for what? So we can further destabilize the region so we can rebuild another company at the time we have record deficits going. We want to rebuild a brand new country. We want to make sure that the Americans are in Afghanistan, in Iraq, in Iran. Maybe we should overthrow Syria. Let's just let's just move it. Let's just call it New America. And for what? We don't need the oil. We don't need I mean I I don't understand the logic to it. And again, all it's gonna do is make everyone less safe at home when these people respond the only way available to them, which is to come after us in civilian form to go in suicide bomb places to strike back and with knives and whatever else they're gonna do because they've had enough and they don't know another way to strike back at a government other than to attack the people that keep neglecting the same fucking assholes over and over again that trot out this militaristic nonsense, this empire building. Ah, getting riled. Getting back on track. <laughs> Here's the good news. Is that they are voting to reign in war powers. I believe there's a vote that's going to be occurring, I think, as early as this week. I didn't see anything break today about it, but I saw that uh, you know Mike Lee has signed on, Rand Paul is signed on that they want to rein it in and check Donald Trump's military actions and his ability to wage war against Iran. And naturally, you've got people like Lindsey, Glenn, <laughs> Lindsey Graham, the lispingest, <laughs> the lispingest tool of the empire that you could ever hope to see, arguing that Rand Paul and Mike Lee are empowering our enemies By simply demanding that the constitutionality be looked at, that we can't simply have a president be enabled to attack another country and draw us to the brink of war without congressional approval. So it's good to see that maybe things are finally, I mean, maybe this is the silver lining here. And we thought we were going to see this. When Trump got into office, we thought that the anti-war left was actually going to start acting like it once more because, of course, they didn't do anything when Obama was in there because Obama was their guy and Obama was black. We can't criticize Obama's war powers because he's a black guy. Can't criticize that. Can do no wrong, the left side. But no, no, it was a warmongering monster that also operated the most comprehensive and most unconstitutional illegal domestic spying operation that has ever been seen in a country. But we thought that maybe when Donald Trump came in, that we'd actually see some progress to limit the war powers. We'd actually see some checks on executive actions. No, not as such. And yet we're seeing it be pushed forward by Republicans in the Senate, by Mike Lee and Rand Paul. So, Rand, I gave you a minus last week, but you know what, buddy? This week, because of this, you get a Apollos Pants. Hashtag Randy Pants. Good job, buddy. Now, just to round this out, there is some interesting fallout now. I'm sure by now you've all heard about the Ukrainian jet that was shot down, a passenger plane. I think there was something like 170 people died on that. Uh, quite a few of them were Iranian citizens that were going to the Ukraine. Of course, a lot of them were Ukrainians. And that occurred because the Iranian defense forces were on high alert. Their air defense system was on high alert. and From what I was hearing the uh, from the, re- the report from whoever was in charge, and I'm blanking on the name of the, the guy, <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, I can make up any sort of uh, syllables pushed together, and you wouldn't know the difference. But he had said, "Look, I take full responsibility of this." What had happened, according to the Iraqi, or sorry, the Iranian uh, government, is that this air defense system picked up what they thought was a missile. And the guy who was sitting at the controls is supposed to go radio it back, get approval from home base to go and launch missiles to take this this counter initiative to take out the missile that's incoming. I guess there was 10 seconds. There was some communications breakdown and the guy pushed the button, the missiles fired and took down a passenger plane as it left Tehran. Uh, a truly tragic outcome, which shows you not only that, again, this force for good, this global force for good has ended with 170 civilians dying. And while you can't specifically say this is Donald Trump's fault, which is what the Democrats are obviously saying, look, this is his fault that this happened. You can't say that it's not tied into the actions that he he took. You can't say that it's not because the Iranians are on high alert because we had just murdered one of their highest ranking military officials. So yeah, the United States does have quite a bit to do with this, and I can guarantee you that while there are protests going on in Iran right now and people calling for regime change within that country, 478 D chess, Donald Trump tearing it up. No, I mean, obviously no. Nobody could foresee this kind of thing coming, but there is interesting fallout to uh, to be had here. I mean, should this lead to regime change, How do we react? You know, as libertarians, the only way we can react, well, we might say, well, you know, the Iranian government's not exactly our favorite. Can't support a lot of what they do, but I mean, we didn't put them in power. We certainly shouldn't be able to take them out of power. The Iranian government hasn't done anything to me during my lifetime. So I can't condone, even if I might like the outcome from an overall perspective of, Human rights in that country. And, and the thing is, too, you never know how it's going to end up, though. I mean, look at Egypt. I remember telling people, all these lefties that are in L.A., they would, oh, do you hear, oh, Egypt, they overthrew that uh, dictator. Oh, it's, isn't it wonderful? And I said to them, I said, who, who overthrew him? And they go, oh, the military did. It. it was the will of the people. And I said, the will of the people. All that's going to happen is you're going to have another dictator Within a month, the general that's leading those troops is going to take over as dictator, or you're going to have some sort of you know military uh, dictate in there where it's you know a military junta reigning over the country. The, the people aren't going to make out in this like bandits because it's not coming from the people; it's coming from a military-led coup, and the outcome is still going to be awful for the populace. And that's what very well might happen in Iran. So we don't know the outcome, and I think. If anything, United States foreign policy has been based upon this presumption that things are always going to work out exactly as we planned, that things are always going to result in a uh, liberal-leaning, free-market democracy when the region simply isn't set up that way. Number one, culturally, it's still a couple decades behind us. the, The proliferation of the internet has helped that, of course. But it's still nowhere near where it would need to be to have a free and open society like we would think would happen. And even if we take over and overthrow the country like we've done in Iraq and like we've done in Afghanistan, you still don't have this instantaneous awakening. Hashtag woke Twitter doesn't spring up in Iraq overnight. It takes generations for that kind of change to happen, especially when you're going a full culture shift in the opposite direction, and especially when it came at the point of a fucking gun. Oh, but I don't need a gun to tell you to go check out our buddy Mance Raider, a.k.a. Pete Casadilla's podcast, The Free Man Beyond the Wall. Yes, freemanbeyondthewall.com now. I told you about him on the show, but I know we have a lot of new listeners coming up here. I know some of you people are coming over from the reason podcast pointing you at our pond. And if so, welcome, welcome. Uh, but yeah, I got to tell you about another podcast. I'm getting double podcasted here, but you got to check out free man beyond the wall. Of course, Pete was known as man's raider for a very long time. And I believe it still goes by manson in, in a way, shape or form in regards to his podcast. But he's also a managing editor at the libertarian institute writing fantastic articles he's bringing in all sorts of amazing guests on his show has very intellectually driven conversations and is a staunch libertarian uh and cap libertarian so i encourage you to check out his show uh a man who is libertarian through and through you cut him open and uh, sweet lady liberty pours out of his veins that's free man beyond the wall free All right. Welcome back. ELL159, lionsofliberty.com, forward slash ELL159 for those show notes, folks. So coming back in, like I said, you're not going to have this culture shift, <laughs> not when it's coming at the point of a gun. And also, you know, we're talking about the Internet, right? We're talking about freedom of speech, which, of course, we don't don't really have. Uh, you know, we talk about hey, I'm getting a little bit off topic here, but we're talking about regulation and discussing these these uh, social platforms. Which of course, they're all kind of merging. Facebook is buying them up. Google's buying them up. Apple's buying them up. And we like to say, okay, well, these are free, you know, free bastions, right? This is where people can go and exchange ideas freely without censorship. But that's not true. Number one, uh, we know the left-leaning bias that exists there. We know how they're policed by these uh, these ownership of these companies. But also. We have to acknowledge how much government money and how much government influence reigns over all of these platforms. Even though they make a dog and pony show bringing Mark Zuckerberg in to sit before the Senate panel and say, oh, well, how do you do this and that? Okay. But the fact remains that Facebook data is shared with the government. The government's giving Facebook quite a bit of money. Same thing with Google. The government's in bed with Google. I think Google actually provides a lot of servers, as is Amazon, for our government which is one of the problems with Google working with China as well. There's a big uh, big to-do about that. But then we see that posts that are going up on Instagram are being censored that are in support of General Soleimani. Now, you would say, well, if it's free speech and it's not hate speech, if it's simply supporting a general who was fighting against ISIS that may have had some uh, some dealings in the past that were – viewed as nefarious in one country but could be seen as freedom fighting or protecting the interests in another country shouldn't those be allowed to exist shouldn't those be allowed to uh, to propagate across that platform well the answer apparently is no if you're facebook or your instagram which of course facebook owns instagram and they've been taken down any posts supporting the slain israeli or iranian general because they designated, and again, I said this on the last show as well, because they designated the Revolutionary Guard, the U.S. government, said the Revolutionary Guard is a terrorist organization. So now you can't have any support for this man who was murdered, assassinated by our government. And should there be any post about him, the government insists that they be taken down because these are now supporting a terrorist leader. So we see... How America's policy, how America's foreign policy specifically, and America's designation is crushing free speech. And is this like, I mean, these, are pro, these, are, these are posts that could be coming from Iran. These are posts that could be coming from America. I mean, I could post about General, general Soleimani right now, and I'm curious to try it. But I, honestly, I don't feel like getting my accounts banned at the moment. But I, I'm curious to see and test it out and say, let me see what happens when I post in support of this general saying that he shouldn't have been killed, that he was fighting against ISIS, that he had done X, Y, and Z. You know, try to keep it neutral, but if I post it on there, they're going to take it down. Even though I'm here in America, even though my I am supposed to have freedom of speech, even though this could be seen as me protesting against a government action, because he's designated as a terrorist, just like the enemy combatants I was discussing earlier in the show, well, my freedom of speech is removed where it pertains to this quote-unquote terrorist. Just like... Enemy combatants, as designated by the United States government, lose their, not only their freedom of speech, but the right to habeas corpus, their right to, uh, to face any jury, their fa- right to, uh, to face whatever their accusers might be, their right to even acknowledge or understand any of the charges being brought against them. You can be held indefinitely without being released, without any sort of lawyer. I mean, this is sheer madness. If there's one thing, you know, I, I'm still, I'm still I'm torn. I used to think that the war on drugs was the most dangerous and damaging thing in our country because it was so so impactful here at home, as opposed to the war state, which typically doesn't affect your everyday American other other than you know an occasional terrorist attack, which are not great. The deficit, inflation, etc. But now I'm starting to wonder because the war on terror. In the guise of safety, and again, the Patriot Act was renewed. We've got the, you know, USA, uh, shit, what was it called? Freedom Act. In the guise of safety, they are stripping away rights. They're attacking free speech. They're attacking our basic civil liberties under the guise of protecting us all the while making us infinitely less safe. All right. Last thing I want to mention on this topic, and then I'm going to move along and talk about some other things, is Justin Amash who I've, uh, you know, I I like me some Amash, but I will say, and I've been not not been very shy about talking about how much I despised his take on Trump's impeachment and supporting that whole farce uh, and also the whole collusion and, and getting in that we have the whole concept of uh, obstruction of justice. And, you know, I had Eric Larson on, who's a buddy of Justin Amash. And if Eric, if you're listening, hello. I'll, uh, I'll definitely have you back on soon, my friend. Oh, I understand where Amash is coming from. I understand he's trying to take a principled stand. The whole obstruction thing, the whole tying into the collusion narrative, which was invented by Democratic opposition research. We saw what happened with the fallout of the Mueller report and then the AG report that came out exposing that the FBI had drawn all of this based on one Salacious document created by Fusion GPS at behest of the Democrats that they went and abused the FISA system that they obstructed you know the the ability of the judges to see the basic facts of the case. All of that just drives me nuts that Amash went down that road. That being said, I'm I'm very happy he left the GOP. I'm very happy that he's. I mean, I've heard he's mulling a run as libertarian candidate. And while Jacob Hornberger definitely is my favorite candidate at the moment, I do have to question if Amash threw his hand or his his hand, throw your hand in the ring, chop it off with a cleaver. But I do have to question if he threw his hat in the ring as libertarian candidate, if we may actually have a legitimate chance at, if not winning, at least cracking a threshold of, you know, 20% support. I could see that happening. And maybe Hornberger as a VP. Hmm, it's a good ticket. But Justin Amash saw, uh, called out Trump because Trump went on Fox News and he was bragging about the fact that, and this is the quote, we have a very good relationship with Saudi Arabia. I said, listen, you're a very rich country. You want more troops? I'm going to send them to you, but you've got to pay us. They're paying us. They've already deposited $1 billion in the bank. And Justin Amash correctly pointed out he sells troops. And the same thing is basically happening in South Korea. The same thing's happening with troops stationed in Poland and in Germany. You know, Trump's saying, I demand more money. Now, he's he's putting it in Europe. He's putting it in the guise of NATO. And people should now, now NATO, by the way, should be abolished. I'm not for keeping it in any way. But if we're going to have it, troops over there, these other countries better pay their goddamn fair share if they're taking advantage of the fact that they don't have to provide any sort of military defense and they're able to bolster their economy by investing in their infrastructure with that money. Well, yeah, they should pay their fair share. But at the same time, demanding more money like we don't with South Korea for a country we don't need to be occupying, that we can easily leave at any point in time and have zero impact on the United States population. Well, why are we simply giving our troops to them for why? I mean, why are we literally selling our troops I mean, there's a difference between selling military hardware and selling people's lives that, you know, I don't know if these people joined the military because they believe in the great American spirit, they believe in a global force for good, or if they joined it because they didn't have anywhere else to go, or they needed guidance, or it's a military tradition in their family. I don't know. (coughs) Excuse me. But I'll tell you, it's pretty fucked up. When you literally are talking to another government, they say, we want more troops here because we want to use you basically as meat shields against a neighboring country. Because by having your troops here, we feel that we won't be attacked. And that's, of course, all this is. I mean, all these motherfucking Democrats are making a big deal about quid pro quo providing military aid to the Ukraine and this Donald Trump phone call or this impeachment bullshit. And in the meantime, our policy has been to engage in these type of practices for generations of presidents. What else is quid pro quo? You're giving us money. We are giving you troops and we're stationing them in your country as meat shields. If somebody attacks your country, now we're going to be drawn into a war because our meat shields have been damaged. How dare you damage our meat shields? I mean, this is absolutely perverse. And there's no better way to phrase it other than he is literally selling the lives of Americans in what is, I mean, basically amounts to modern day slavery. You signed away your life to the government. And unlike other jobs where you can quit when you are a military man, you can't quit. You go AWOL, they put you in jail. You go double AWOL, I don't know, they they put you in jail even if you decide to get gender reassignment surgery. I mean, this is absolutely disgusting, and yet I'm seeing far less coverage of Trump selling our troops to Saudi Arabia, mercenary style. We should just call, we should just rename our troops to Blackwater. But I'm seeing far less coverage for that than I am for anything else. Just absolutely sickening. All right, let's talk about some happier things, mind you. Uh, Yeah, nothing's really happy on this show. (laughs) Libertarians always have something to be pissed off about. Uh, But, you know, this is interesting. So, Vermin Supreme won the New Hampshire Libertarian primary. And I got to say, I'm happy about it. And I'll tell you why. And this is honestly, this is surprising because it's reported on Heavy.com, which I didn't think Heavy.com would cover libertarian news. But, yes. Vermin Supreme won the New Hampshire Libertarian Party's primary. And of course, Pork Fest takes place in New Hampshire. Last year, our good buddy over at the uh, Lava Flow podcast, Roger Paxton, had been kind enough to uh, to give us some speaking slots and give us a, uh, the sweet treatment over in the liquor cabin and liquor uh, <laughs> liquor tent, which was a fantastic time. So I recommend everybody attend Porkfest when you can. But I had uh, the opportunity, as did Mark and as did Odie, to talk and meet with Vermin Supreme while at Porkfest, because he's there, he's just hanging out, he's a very approachable guy. And I'll tell you, this is the first time I really spoke with him. Cause I looked at him, and if I'm being perfectly honest, I looked at him as a detriment to the party because he goes out there and he's got the boot on his head. And I don't really know, you know, I, I didn't listen much about him and spoke with him. I said, This guy makes us look like lunatics. But I will tell you, I could still I'd still be happier if he didn't wear the goddamn boot on his head. But if you actually ever do really listen to Vermin Supreme, if you actually talk to him, you will be shocked at how intelligent he is. And I understand, you know, I do public relations for a living. As I mentioned, when I got slapped in my dick earlier, it was uh, in regards to uh, public relations. But from a branding standpoint, you got to give him credit. He's done a lot to draw attention to himself. He certainly has developed a brand. Uh, But... When that brand connotates uh, lunacy, it doesn't exactly help us. And I don't know if people are going to necessarily take the time to listen to him. Now, the benefit of this is him winning a primary or a non-binding presidential preference poll, I should say, is that hopefully it'll actually give him a chance to speak and have people listen to him because it is pretty inspiring. The man knows what he's talking about. And as I said, shockingly Uh, intelligent for somebody that goes around with a boot on his head. So congratulations to Vermin Supreme. He had beat out Kim Ruff came in number two. Uh, Kim Ruff has, by the way, dropped out of contention. And shockingly, Jacob Hornberger came in sixth. He was, uh, Joe Jorgensen beat him, Dan, taxationist, Seth Berman, and uh, (laughs) N-O-T-A got 13 votes. So anywho, uh, interesting. Lincoln Chafee got four, which is uh, disgusting. Uh, he's okay on a couple things, but uh, he ain't my pick. Another news, people who also dropped out, as I said, Kim Ruff dropped out. Cory Booker dropped out of the presidential race. Now, Cory Booker was, you know, <laughs> like crazy eyes, uh, crazy eyes killer from Curb Your Enthusiasm. He was entertaining to watch, he couldn't go a single goddamn debate without mentioning that he was from Newark and talking about his neighborhood of a uh, deprived neighborhood of, of uh, Newark, New Jersey, which by the way, if you've ever been to really a shithole, like really, you know, he's talks about being from there. He has not done a lot to help it. It is a very impoverished, run down, dirty city. Although I do like their airport. I fly into it often if I'm going to go to New York City. The Cory Book has dropped out. And while I'm happy that the field has been whittled down, I am sad because Cory Booker did two things well. Uh, in the last debate, he did draw a good amount of attention to the wars going on, uh, which I was a fan of. He said he'd bring the troops home immediately, which was great. He also was one of the very few candidates drawing attention to justice reform, which is one of his pressing issues. If you remember, he also was one of the, uh, the creators of the First Step Act, which I still think was one of the... Best pieces of legislation I've seen pass in recent memory doesn't do enough, obviously, but was a substantial improvement and got a lot of people out of jail who were in for nonviolent crime. So that was great. So I'm sad to see him go in that regard. However, I'm not sad to see him go in regards to, you know, whining and crying that there's no more people of color, even though Andrew Yang is still in the race. Tulsi Gabbard is, is completely ignored, Because God knows you don't want somebody that's actually been an active military member talking about how we need to rein in the war state, especially during a time when we just assassinated Iran's military leader and are talking about putting more troops in Saudi Arabia and refusing to pull our troops out of Iraq. Why would you you want somebody on stage that would talk about that, right? Uh, if you're a Democratic voter, why would you care when you can listen to two assholes talk about $32 to $52 trillion programs to give everybody medical care and stay-at-home uh, nursing and whatever other you know, pie-in-the-sky crap that they're promising people? <sighs> anyway. <laughs> so audio is Cory Booker. But Cory Booker, you know, the thing is people are – Are saying, oh my God, you know, these now we've just got white people on the dais again. Yeah, okay, but are we forgetting that the majority of Democratic voters are black and Hispanic and probably a lot of Asians as well, in addition to white? So. If Julian Castro, the worst Spanish speaker to ever to take a dais, or Beto, I want your guns and I look like Herman fucking Munster with AIDS O'Rourke, if those two, or Kamala Harris or Cory Booker or any of the other people that were up there that were people of color, if they really brought an inspiring message, if they really convinced people, why did their own people not support them? Joe Biden, at last I read, is getting the support of the Black Caucus. He's drawing a lot of uh, a lot of support from, from Black voters. I'm not sure who the Hispanics are supporting. Um, I haven't seen the recent polls on that. But it just cracks me up because they're making it seem as though white supremacy is somehow ruling the day. But at the end of the day, when you look at the way the people are voting and who's supporting who, it's pretty obvious that these people are up there because the broad democratic base decided that they wanted to go their way. And while I am perturbed that some of the wokest idiocy like Klobuchar and like Warren and, and Sanders, you know, at least Sanders is good on a couple of things. God, Steyer up there. Oh, by the way, I made this joke on Twitter. I think it's a funny joke, and I think we should adopt it. But I'm not watching the debate that happened last night. Thank God I had to record this podcast. So Mark and Howie, and I think uh, also Monica Perez is joining the show, which will air. Uh, I think they're probably going to air that on Thursday, the recap show. So make sure you tune into that. But um, Tom Steyer, I always say when he gets up there and he starts foaming at the mouth about climate change, we should start call that Styrofoam. <laughs> I think we need to hashtag styrofoam when he starts going, Rudna! I'm going to have a climate change. I'm a billionaire and the climate's going to get you. So there you go. Hashtag styrofoam. But you know, it's, it reminds me of the Oscars. This is why I want to come back around to this Oscar thing, right? I headlined the episode this, and I promise you guys I do a longer episode today, even though I tell you, I didn't feel like it after the day I've had, but the Oscars, And the hashtag Oscar's so white has reared its head again, because just like with the Democratic candidates in 2015, everybody said, oh, these Oscars are so white. So the Academy went out of its way to invite all sorts of other people of color. They invited all the black actors, the blackers. they invited all the Hispanic actors and they invited all the Asian actors and they invited all the, you know, whatever else. All the rainbows, all the United Colors of Benetton were invited to join the academy to make sure that they had enough representation in there. Now, mind you, let's not forget that there's also been decades and decades and decades of white people that have been predominantly in this industry, as the United States was for decades and decades and decades, a predominantly white country. So you're still not going to have a complete diverse cornucopia where every goddamn minority group is represented equally and has an equal share of the vote in these things. But at the same time, you also don't have movies coming out that have equal representation of actors. As much as the left is pushing it, you don't. There still are going to be a predominance of White actors, most likely, unless this is a pure black film or a film that is intentionally diverse and is making sure that those people are put in those places. So, when we see the most recent Fuhrer, and this is because, you know, Joker, I think, got the most nominations, and people were saying that, oh my God, only one black actress was nominated for the 20, you know, best actor or whatever roles, and there were no female directors for Best Picture. Now, what are there, six Best Picture nominations? How many movies come out a year? How many women directors are there a year? I mean, I'm not, I frankly, I'm too lazy to pull the statistics. But it just simply comes down to logic half the time where you go, okay, right? You got more white people. You got more male directors at this point in time. There's still a lot of female directors. There have been women have won in the past. I mean, Christ, what was that one where uh, Jeremy Renner is defusing bombs? A female directed that. You know, there's there's been plenty of female directors nominated and they've won. Moonlight won the Oscars. There's been plenty of black winners in the past few years. Clearly an effort has been made. Maybe, and you could even argue that maybe too much effort has been made that it's gone too far the other direction where it's almost like pandering to try to give these people, uh, you know, the accolades to to quash and, and perform a PR coup just to get people to shut up about it. But you're telling me that because this year, as opposed to the last two, three years when it was all diverse as you could want, that this year, because there's no female, that Greta Gerwig didn't get nominated for Little Women, which I will never see, as I talked about last show, that I never want to see, that doesn't interest me at all in any way that she somehow got monumentally snubbed for not getting a best director nominee for a movie that failed in the box office because nobody fucking wanted to see a goddamn another retread remake of a movie that's already been made five fucking times. Somehow it's the end of the world. Now, I will say I did see Us, the female lead in Us, and I again, I'm not going to look up her name at the moment. She was excellent. I could have seen her getting a nod, but she didn't. It doesn't mean that people are racist. It doesn't mean that hashtag Oscars are so white. It simply means that when you want equality, it doesn't mean that you go out of your way to specifically nominate people from a racial category in order to fill a quota, to make sure that people won't call you out on Twitter. That's not equality. You see, that's the opposite of equality. And that's what I don't think these people on the left understand. If we're talking about equality, you should talk about the best things rising to the top. That's not always going to be the most racially diverse thing. It's not always going to work out in the pre-described notions. It might even not work out the way that America's divided racially by statistics. In fact, it probably won't. There can be cultural differences for that. There can simply be Maybe they didn't have the best performances from whatever Chinese actor came out, this Chinese-American actor this year. People were saying that Parasite should have gotten nominations and somehow that this is a racial issue. The movie was in Korean. It was in Korean. You don't think that might be a barrier to a lot of people maybe voting for it? People tend to want to vote for actors that speak their native language. But again, just circling back to the concept of equality. We've been fighting this fight, right? This fight for equality, this fight for diversity. We've adopted it. It is it is the driving force in our culture right now. And you're somehow gonna tell me that now, just like you know, after Obama, we elected a black man president two terms in a row, and yet somehow Donald Trump getting in there means that everyone turned racist overnight. Are you fucking kidding me? Look, statistically, you can put the odds of anything out there, right? I mean, for example, I'm a betting man. We do our show, Degenerate Gamblers. It's one of our bonus content shows we do if you join the Lions of Liberty Pride. Patreon.com forward slash Lions of Liberty. We gamble every week. So this week... I had put a money line bet. I put, I had a two bet parlay. What that means is that you bet two games, you win much more money because the odds are so much against you when you do that. But I put a a bet on the Titans who are big, big underdogs to the Ravens money line bet. And I put a big bet or I'm sorry, I put a small bet, but you win big. So I put a bet on the Titans and I parlayed that meaning I have to win both with a bet on the Houston Texans against the chiefs. The Houston Texans were up 24 to zero. They were getting 10 points, right? So that means I also put another bet on it with the spread. So that means I was up 34 points and I was up 24 points in the other bet. The odds of a Chiefs comeback at that point being down 24 points are astronomical in a professional game of football. It doesn't happen. Let alone for them to come back and score 51 points, almost unanswered points against a Texans team that was up 24 points. Yet you know what had happened? It happened, and I got fucked, and I didn't win jack. Do you not think that some years, no matter what the field might look like, there just might not be that many black actors nominated because of other people's performances? And again, remember how many more actors there are in how many more roles than African-American or Asian or Hispanic actors simply because of the population and the number of people in that profession currently in the United States, you don't think that just maybe sometimes you're just going to end up with more white nominees? You're just going to end up with more male directors and female directors? And that maybe it's not some white patriarchal, got to keep everybody down over an award show and honestly, who the fuck even watches it anymore to begin with? They call us conspiracy theorists for half the stuff that we say calling out government. And yet you've got Oscars so white, Twitter, you've got all these people writing these stupid articles about how this isn't how this is an affront to humanity that the Oscars are dominant. That's the conspiracy theory to think that somehow people are going out of their way to snub minorities and to snub female directors. Give me a break. All right, we'll wrap the show up on that. also, uh, one last thing. Vince Vaughn may be canceled because he had the gall to be sitting in a box at the national championship game for collegiate football, the LSU Tigers versus the Clemson Tigers. Yeah, it's kind of stupid, Tigers on Tigers. I didn't think about that until now. (laughs) Ah, Get a different mascot, you jerks. So... Vince Vaughn, who was a libertarian, has been on Tom Wood's show. Uh, and, you know, and, and I'd say I was, I was impressed by Vince Vaughn. Some people were crapping on Vince because they're like, oh, well, he doesn't know that much. I'm like, you know what, man? For a, for a very famous actor, he did okay. He was quoting some Rothbard. He, was, he had read Tom's, uh, Tom's books. He's just fine. I'll take Vince Vaughn any day going out there talking libertarian politics. And especially talks to people on set about libertarian politics. So God bless you, Vince. But Vince Vaughn apparently is going to be canceled because he was seen talking and tweeted out by Deadspin editor, one of these dickhead Deadspin editors, which I'm so glad are fired out in their ass because they unionize that liberal shit publication from what used to be great. Deadspin used to be hilarious, became a liberal shill publication. So tweets out, Vince Vaughn can't believe it because he's talking to Donald Trump at a football game. Who cares? You can't talk to somebody at a football game. It doesn't mean he's best friends. It doesn't mean he's a Trump supporter. I don't know if he is or not. Neither do these people. Well, just because you're seen in public, maybe Trump was like in the box. He goes, hey, Vince, come and sit with me right here. I would say yes. Maybe Vince is talking to him about politics. Maybe he's trying to win him over to libertarian viewpoint. Maybe he's trying to talk him out of uh, attacking Iran. But now let's just presume that Vince was up there talking about how they want to keep the minority vote down <laughs> and now he wants to donate to donald trump super PAC. morons idiots and morons my friends that's gonna wrap it up for electric liberty land this episode everybody a reminder listen to mark clear on mondays he just had michael bolden on and josh smith uh, love me some bolden no offense to Josh Smith. I don't still really know Josh Smith, but love me some Michael Bolton, man. I got to hang out with that guy again soon. Maybe get together with him and Stapleton uh, doing another uh, Lions of Liberty or Libertarians of Liberty was drinking liquor. Excuse me, podcast. But that was on Monday. They did uh, some interesting chatting. Uh, of course, I'm here on Wednesdays and John Odie Matt on Fridays. His an interview with uh, Levine is really blowing up with Larry Levine. Uh, talking about Jeffrey Epstein's hoax is uh, going gangbusters. So make sure not to miss that. You don't want to be the only guy at the Libertarian Party. <laughs> no, like there's only one guy at the Libertarian Party. You don't have to be one of the only 45 guys at the Libertarian Party not to have heard that interview. So make sure to check that out as well. All right, guys, that's going to do it for me, Brian McWilliams from the Lions of Liberty and from Electric Liberty Land. Always stay plugged into Liberty.